and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and as always I'm joined by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. Hello Mr Grayson and how was your Christmas? Yeah, delightful, delightful. Um, made all the better for, for a, a six point feast uh, but a, a delightful Christmas um, and as, as, uh, as you know the highlight being a, a wonderful present from my wife which was a video from uh, former Arsenal number 10, uh, uh, not Dennis. Uh, he also was a number nine, actually, but Paul Merson, uh, who uh, wished me well for the festive period and also offered to come on the podcast as well. So uh, a, an absolute thriller. Um, how was yours? Uh, it was it was very nice. Just just before I touch on that, uh, your lovely wife messaged me a couple of weeks back to tell me about the Paul Merson um <laughs> Uh, potential of him coming on our podcast so I, I had to keep that under my hat for a while but, uh, <laughs> when she when she told me I, 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 I was very excited um, to the point that my my mum and dad received phone calls to say uh, Paul Merson might be coming on our podcast <laughs> so yeah. if, if we can make that happen that will be probably the highlight of my life so yes well we'll see what we can do it'd be amazing be amazing uh, but yes, my, my Christmas was very nice. Uh, not quite as exciting as receiving a video of Paul Merson saying he <laughs> would come on the... I don't even think he got the name of the podcast right, but... <laughs> he doesn't get much right, does does Paul, but, to be fair. What, an absolute hero. Um, but um, I got uh, what of which I've been flouting on uh, on social media... Um, a 1982 replica of uh, the famous green away kit that Arsenal had um, by a really fantastic company called Score Draw that do replica kits. And my dad got me that, and I made the decision that that was going to be the shirt that I wore for the Chelsea game to see if I could break this uh, this bad luck that Arsenal have been having recently, and it worked. So the decision was quickly made to keep that shirt on for the Brighton game and it worked again so when we go to the Hawthorns on Saturday uh, that will be uh, worn yet again so a wonderful a wonderful gift that has uh, brought forward six points so yeah it was a it was a very nice festive period now True to our word, we said when Arsenal picked up three points in the Premier League again, that we would return to our standard commentary quiz and also our memories of shirts from years gone by. So that returns for today's podcast. And I don't know about you, Andre, but I've, I've quite missed doing these. I have. Uh, yeah, I really have. I really have. And uh, you're still leading by two, as my memory would serve. I believe it's 5-3, but I, I really have. Um, and I've had I've had a good one with a festive theme for a while, and I was yeah. really worried that I was going to end up doing this in, like, February. Uh, or or <laughs> waiting till next Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Surely we can go calendar year without a win. Imagine. But, uh, yes, I, I have missed it terribly, because it also... Uh, there was a point where we said this, uh, sort of uh, tongue-in-cheek. I was like, I'm not doing one until we win. I, I didn't think we'd be waiting um, this long. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long time since we started. Just to remind our listeners about what the commentary quiz is, uh, both of us select a piece of commentary from uh, a famous goal from years gone by and read that quote without any emotion and any context and the other person has to try and guess what that piece of commentary is and what goal it is. So... Uh, Andre, would you like to go first this week? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, are you ready? 
I am ready. Arsenal are walking in a winter wonderland. <laughs> right, right. Before I give the answer, this was so close to be the one that I selected. So I'm really, really pleased I didn't select it. But that is Meza Ozil putting Arsenal 3-2 up against Liverpool. Um, the next the next piece of commentary from that is, what a turnaround. <laughs> yes, extraordinary at the Emirates. Um, and then, uh, oh, I, I remember being at that game and we were 2-0 down. And I don't think we, it was one of those games where we were so out of our depth, weren't we? Yeah. And uh, they were 2-0 up. And then out of nowhere, Sanchez header, Xhaka smash. And then that goal from Ozil, his famous chop, and it was it was electrifying. Six minutes, three goals against Liverpool, who were pretty much as good as they were then. Um, oh, that was that was uh, gave you all the feels that goal. Yeah, um, it's just one of those fantastic. Like obviously, we've we've not had that many moments of the Emirates that that you felt like the stadium has just taken off. Mm. Um, but that was certainly one of them. Um, so very fond memories of that, and and the commentary from Martin Tyler is just it's it's another one of those iconic pieces which um, just fits the occasion so spectacularly. So a really really lovely one that, and I'm uh, <laughs> as I say I was very close to selecting that as well because I saw it on Twitter um, a couple of days ago, um, and I watched it on repeat because it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, a tremendous goal, tremendous moment, and uh, a tremendous point for Mr. Dow in the commentary quiz. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. So, if Arsenal don't recover in these last 10 minutes, it's hard to see them qualifying through the league. Hmm. Recover in the last 10 minutes. Qualifying through the league. I mean, that is... That is uh, that feels like it's preemptive commentary, maybe not recorded live. Um towards the end of the season and the problem with qualifying is that part of me wants to say Dennis Bergkamp um, against Bolton in 1996 but I don't think that came with famous commentary the first time he qualified for Europe in more recent seasons um, we've been on the cusp I'm really struggling with this uh, is there another line can I get a clue yeah I can give you a little bit more so this will help you with the certainly with the era of when it was. So I'll I'll read the the quote again with the extra bit. So it's if Arsenal don't recover in these last ten minutes, it's hard to see them qualifying through the league. But it's Adi Bayor <laughs> and Thierry Henry. Oh, wow! I'm clearly struggling. I uh oh, Adi Bayor. 
Thierry Henry, will they play together 06, 07? Tom, uh, I can't get this. Uh, it Was it Thierry Henry, though? It was Thierry Henry, and okay. it was the uh, equaliser in the final North London derby at Highbury, oh. um, which is up there with one of my favourite goals of all time, which I appreciate I say that statement with surprisingly, <laughs> uh, surprising regularity. But this one is one of those moments, and I was very, very privileged to be in the North Bank that day. Um, and it's added by or battling for possession with a, with Paul Stouteri, which are potentially a foul on the on the on the near side. Um, but then plays the ball into Omri, and Omri one touch with his right foot, and then with the outside of his right foot flicks it into the far corner, and Paul Robinson has no chance at all. Um, and what I remember most about that was that it was a game that. I think it was the second to last game at Highbury. And to get tickets um, as a silver member, you had to have been to pretty much every game that season to be in the to, to get a ticket for the Tottenham and for the Wigan game. So I was very lucky that that season I went to pretty much every home game. And you really felt a, uh, a privilege being there. But also it was absolutely devastating when Tottenham went 1-0 up because we felt like they, they could potentially be the last team to beat us at Highbury, regardless of their, their motives to get into the Champions League and finish above us for the first time in, in, in God knows how long. Um, it was that fear of them being the last team to win at Highbury. Um, and fortunately, Omri came off the bench and produced that moment. Um, and it was sensational and the atmosphere was electric for the last 10 minutes um, as we looked for a winner. And unfortunately, we didn't get it. But obviously, we know through history that we finished above them anyway. So a really, really nice moment. But uh, yeah, one of my favourite goals. Mm, yeah. And I think uh, I think we've discussed this before, actually, on the pod. I was on a geography field trip and I was on a bus getting text updates. This was way before, would it have been in 06? Uh, yeah, so, I do remember us talking about it. Yeah. I think this came, this came up on, um, on our shirt, on the kits um, section. Yeah, so yeah, so you know my pain. That might be why I uh, have, have uh, you know, faltered another point. But uh, yeah, described beautifully, described beautifully. One of my biggest regrets actually is not going to the, uh, going to Highbury in its final season. But Hey-ho. Uh, and actually, we would have played Villarreal on the Wednesday as well in that. Yes, uh, was, of course. Sorry. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I was at that game as well, so I'm not sure why I neglected that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, there would have been the away leg on the Wednesday. Or, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But either, either way, it was um, I just, that whole season, it was just uh, it was a really strange feeling going to, going to Highbury mm. um, and knowing that each time you went, there was one less time that you were going to go there in the future. And it was just, it was really eerie. And the way that Arsenal then made every single game like a, a, a dedication to to an individual, to a, a certain era or something, it was really, really nicely done. But uh, everywhere you looked, there was obviously, you, you tried to take in all the history and all the moments that have passed in that fantastic stadium. So... An absolute, absolute privilege to spend as much time as I did that season uh, at Highbury. But um, st- still a memory that I look back with sadness because, as I've, I've alluded to on this podcast before, um, I've never really recovered the same sort of affinity that I had with Highbury with, with anything else with, uh, associated with Arsenal Football Club. So definitely a sadness whenever we mention 
that place. If Arsenal don't recover in this last 10 minutes, it's hard to see them qualifying through the league. But it's Adibayor. And it's Thierry Henry. And Henry is magnificent! It's absolutely magnificent! And when you need a goal, you need Thierry Henry. And Arsenal are on level terms. And Thierry Henry, even by his standards, has scored a magnificent and crucial goal. But uh, at least we now have a new fortress. <laughs> well, we do have a new fortress. So, <laughs> an expert link between one section <laughs> to you. another there, Andre. <laughs> <laughs> you, you set it up brilliantly. So, I suppose that leads us on to, obviously, before um, we, we thought we might end this podcast for the year with the last episode. Um, but we made the decision that if we beat Chelsea, we were going to do a podcast anyway, regardless of what happened in the Brighton game. So we beat Chelsea. First and foremost, Andre, what did you make of the uh, the performance against Chelsea? Well, it was uh, it was unexpected, that's for sure. I think that's the first thing. If you were uh, even the most positive of positive Arsenal fans, surely at this point, when that fixture came around, I remember we were saying, you know, we just won't beat Everton and Chelsea. There's just no way it'll happen. Uh, and I think even the most positive of all Arsenal fans would certainly not have predicted three goals <laughs> in our direction. I thought we were excellent. I've been banging on about wanting to play the kids. Um and again, just to go on about it, the reason I wanted them to play is because I think they're better. I don't think it's because we need something different and we need youth. I think Smith-Rowe, Martinelli and Saka are our best players behind the striker at the club. I think it's that easy. Um, you yeah. could make a case for Nicola Pepe, but consistency is a huge issue. We played the talent and look what happened. Um, what have you know, it is so great beating Chelsea. I, like, I don't care what anyone says you know for me they they have and, I, and we've gone on about this but they they really have destroyed English football with the money that came in and when us who have built it from the ground up beat them it really is a victory uh in keeping with what life should be more about than these uh, bastards um and it is just <laughs> wonderful and watching our lovely Kieran Tierney flop over and their fans being annoyed that that's not a penalty it's a penalty all day I don't know what anyone was complaining about and Gary Neville going on about Robert Pires wind it in sunshine look at Harry Kane for goodness sake anyway but to to win it in that fashion was just brilliant Uh, and I also think the fact we had that panic at the end made it all the more special as fans because they really made us think they were going to blow it um, but there's so many great performances. I, I'm still, I'm, I'm just, I'm still buzzing from that, um, despite the, the the glee of Brighton as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm still, I'm still very much buoyed by the uh, by the performance against Chelsea because it was, like you said, it was so unexpected. We weren't expecting anything from that game. And I remember texting you on the morning of the game, and we basically said that we just didn't want to be embarrassed. We didn't want to go into that game and just get hammered. And it became apparent very, very quickly that we were up for it. Um, 
which is which makes a very nice change from recent games because the majority of fixtures that we've played recently we have not looked like we're even in the game from the from the get-go um and i think kieran tierney alluded to that in his post-match press conference where he said that about having a fast start and i think there was a couple instances within the first 10 minutes where we got him around the side of chelsea um and were piecing together some really nice football so that was that was really really fantastic to see and I'm just going to touch on, uh, we, you spoke about individual performances. One individual performance that I did really like, and I, I liked it a lot in the second half of Brighton as well, um, was that of Emile Smith-Rowe, who I think, I've said before that he, he's probably the next youngster on the conveyor belt that I think can have a breakthrough period at Arsenal. And I thought against Chelsea, he he did things not necessarily spectacularly, but he did things simply and he was in the right place at the right time to keep moves sort of ticking over. And that's what we've been crying out for all season. We've needed someone who can sit in that number 10 spot and link the defence with the attack. And that's what he can do just by being there. It's all well and good having a player like Lacazette play in that position, but he's not a number 10. So he doesn't understand the intricacies um, within that role. And what I feel like Emil Smith-Rowe has done is shown how big a difference having that player can make to this team. If we look at the Brighton game yesterday briefly, in the second half when we, we hit Brighton on the counter-attack on a, on a couple of occasions, by and large it was because we had that pass in field to Smith-Rowe who could then link the play to the to the wide players in attack. Um which sort of linked when when Aubameyang had one effort from the left and I think when Saka got played through to play Aubameyang in for that chance early in the second half. Those were just two occasions where it showed the benefit of having a player like Smith-Rowe in that, in that role. So from that perspective, I was really, really pleased and hopefully he can kick on because I think people will forget that that is only his third Premier League start for Arsenal. Hmm. So <laughs> he's very inexperienced um, in first-team football at all, let alone the standard he needs to be to play for Arsenal. And I think he's made a really promising start in the last two games that makes you think that he has a really serious role to play at this football club. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I remember saying he's the best number 10 at our club. Uh, And I meant that because if you look at his work rate and defensive contribution in the second half against Brighton, whether he he was found helping out on the left, on the right, ready to counter, like you said. His defensive contribution was massive. We do not get that with Meza Ozil. We carry him. And if you look at someone like, because uh, I know, <laughs> I don't know if you saw Reese Nelson commented on his Instagram tagging Kevin De Bruyne under Emmett <laughs> Smith. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> when you look at uh, Kevin De Bruyne, his defensive contribution is really high. He works so hard, but then brings that quality. And that is now modern football. And it's a shame, I think Wenger talked about this recently, that it is a shame that we've moved towards that, that physical capacity, and you you just cannot carry a number 10 anymore. And we seem to be the only club in the world carrying one. So the fact we've modernised and put someone there, and you know, he is just, he's just a young guy. He's got talent, like you said. I don't think Smith Rowe's played higher than a 7 out of 10. You know, I don't think he's, he's lit it up, but... As you said, just having a player in that position, knitting it all together. But for me, it was the, you know, having that combination play in tandem with the work rate. There was a period where uh, I think Saka and Smith Rowe 
particularly at the start of the second half, but even a couple of times in the first half combined. There was a lovely attempt where they combined down the right. And I think Saka and Smith-Rowe had swapped positions. And Saka bursts in, Martinelli cutting in from the left through the centre-halves. And if it was just a little bit better, and you go, that is, that is class. You know, that is Arsenal, but also that is how teams attack. That is just how teams attack. Nothing came of it. But we haven't seen that for 16 games this season. Um, yeah. And that, for me, is what it's all about. Uh, you know, and look, you know, you look at Martinelli. He didn't have a very good game against Brighton. He missed a really good chance, but his energy was there. And, you know, I think for us at this point, you know, we understand that quality might be missing from this squad. But it's that effort and endeavour and willingness to go forward and try things that we, we've really been missing. I think what's also really interesting as well, with, with if we look at those those three across the mid uh, the attack with Martinelli, Smith Rowe, and Saka, that they're all quite interchangeable, and that's what I found really fantastic about it because there were times that Smith Rowe drifted out to the left hand side, and Martinelli just then occupied the middle, and it didn't really affect us. It's, it, it meant that we still had players doing their jobs in those positions, and I think the best teams. And this is probably something that Arteta is really trying to work on, are the ones that have those interchangeable positions who can go from one point to another and and not really affect how the game's being played in a negative way. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really, really good to see as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, we just look like, we look like a modern team. We look like a modern team. And it's got a six points, you know. And, and also there will be dips, you know. At half-time yesterday in the Brighton game, I have to say... I went, I text uh, several people saying normal service resumed because <laughs> it just felt like we'd gone, that Chelsea game hadn't happened. First five against Brighton, we flickered. But I do think, and this is something I wanted to sort of talk to you about and, and go on to because it is relevant for the whole league. I've watched, uh, as uh, Kelly will um, testify, um, especially now, I always watched a lot of football. Now they've staggered football, so it can be on for about 10 hours a day. Um, It is on in my house more times than it should be, to the point where it's just on in the background, and I'm not really engaging with it. But the one thing I've taken from nearly every game, and it was actually watching Liverpool-West Brom, um, which is ironic saying this, because A, we're playing West Brom, and also they got cut to to ribbons by Leeds. But I was watching Liverpool-West Brom and West Brom sat in and Liverpool are the best attacking team and had their best team and they could not break them down. And you could tell what was going to happen. You could tell West Brom one chance they would score. It was just the way the game went. But nearly every game, if you look at it, it's being won on incredibly fine margins. And I was actually yeah. reflecting on our run of form. We snuck it yesterday, right? I don't think I don't see how we were behind at half time. Their one main chance for, I think... Um, Jack Akenbash. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, the commentator on Amazon Prime had spent all week learning that name because he said it. He said it. And he said his full name. like, Alizaja Hakenbash. Every time he got the ball. (laughs) Anyway, um, but that chance was offside anyway. And I didn't really see them having another goal scoring opportunity of note. So I thought we defended much more um, astutely. But Every game, near enough, especially for us, apart from maybe Villa and Fulham games, have, yeah. been, have been so close and could have gone either way. And what Arsenal are now doing and what everyone's looking at is how on earth do we find that marginal game? 
And I think that was the frustration with the red cards against Southampton and uh, Burnley um, and Leeds, is that we take that possibility of a marginal gain out the team. But I thought it was an Arsenal thing, but it isn't. It's a league thing. And I think yeah. everyone just needs to realise that the way this season is, it's been every three days um, for as long as I can remember now. Um, I think it's been that way for the whole season. There's, it's not going to happen. Do you know what I mean? That There's teams all over the place. Um, and everyone's just defending in deep blocks and everyone finds it hard. Every game this season in the league near enough is on the finest of fine margins, um, which is why I don't think we're out of any, you know, you look at two wins. I don't know. I looked at the table for the first time after the Chelsea game <laughs> and then I studied it for the first time after the Brighton game and you start stroking your chin and go, how are we only six points behind Chelsea? Sorry. Well, that, that, was, the one I, that was the one I was going to bring up. Um, because regardless of how poor we have been and supposedly how great Chelsea have been this season, um, we are... Is it six points or nine points? I'm going to check now. I think... I've got a feeling it's six points. I think it was six. Problem. I'm looking for you now. I've gone with a, I've gone with a poor choice here. I've gone with Premier League. Uh, sorry, BBC. And I really should have gone with... You know, Sky Sports. It is six, it's six points. Six points. Six points. It's six points we're behind Chelsea. And we have been absolutely dreadful this season. <laughs> and I think I think that kind of echoes the point you just made about fine margins, is that Chelsea have had, by and large, the, the games they have won, they have won by by quite quite um, significant difference between the other team. We look at when they beat West Ham 3-0 the other week, mm. and they went through a spell where they were scoring three or four in most games. Um, but then the, the games that they've obviously gone in a run when they have lost games and they've lost those games by fine margins, but it's allowed us <laughs> to win two games and all of a sudden be not that far away from them. And you look at our fixture list coming up and our next three league games are West Brom away, Crystal Palace at home, Newcastle at home. And you're looking at that and thinking we we could get nine points from that. We really could. If we've got a bit of momentum now, which it looks like we do, we could go into those games and get nine points. The one I really look at and really am a bit concerned about is more the West Brom game because I think West Brom are going to do very similar to what they did to Liverpool because they know we struggle against teams like that. And I think they're going to be a really difficult nut to crack because they are going to sit in, frustrate us and try and take that one opportunity that they get. Um but if we can get a goal and, and nick a goal and make them come out a bit more, then I think obviously it's going to be a different game. But I, that's the one I look at and think it, that's that's going to be a difficult game, regardless of what happened against Leeds. It's a, it's a different game against Leeds um, because they would have probably felt that they could play a bit more attacking and 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 hit them on the counter attack a bit a bit a bit more often than um, than someone like Liverpool. And against Arsenal, I feel like that's what they're going to try and do again. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you about team selection for the West Brom game, um, but I'll, I'll come to that in a second because I was just going to say one of the things I think is so interesting looking at the league and about us in particular, despite what I said, in Leeds's games, they've had 60 goals, scored 30, let in 30. We've scored 16, which is an average of one a game uh, and conceded 19. So something like an average of 1.0 three or something a game right and there's been 35 goals in our games and 60 in theirs uh and it just shows you the difference in such a cavalier approach uh but they are three points ahead of us 
And I yeah. just look at that Burnley game, and the reason I was so deflated after that Burnley game is those three points. Those three points, always, I always knew they're the ones you look back on, because I don't think you can argue with many other drop points this season. Um, but it was that game, that's why I was so frustrated, because you'll always regret dropping points to a team like Burnley, um, especially not getting the win. And if, we were, if we'd have won that, we'd be three points off fifth. And I know it's if, and if is the, if is the biggest word I know in football. Um, <laughs> but it really is just, it's incredible, this league. And look, all it takes is not beating West Brom, losing, and suddenly we're back down and going to get relegated. So it's all up in the air. And I suppose on that West Brom game, before before we do, um, because there's a player I want to ask you about, Aubameyang, you know, since he signed the new contract, um, there's been, there's you know, it's starting to come up now, isn't it, that, He's got a major contract. He's not contributing goals in the same way. Obviously, he's been injured, and I don't think he was fully fit yesterday. And no. um, you see the value of Aubameyang in that chance. I mean, the keeper didn't even want to save it. He just put his knee up, uh, and it somehow flicked off his knee and went wide. Do uh, you know the chance I'm talking about? Where? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but are you concerned because when Lacazette? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> when Lacazette came on, I know he scored after 21 seconds, but mm, I didn't know that Aubameyang was going to score yesterday and didn't contribute much to our build-up. Either. No, he's it's it is a concern because he's not he's he's not really offering much towards the game. So, like you say, not not scoring goals, not offering much to the build-up. Um, it is a, a real concern when your your major player. And the, a player who you've invested so much in into, into a contract um, is not doing that. And just touching on Lacazette as well, I thought considering Arteta went with the approach of changing nothing except for the attack, I thought Lacazette was really unfortunate not to start yesterday because I thought he played really well against Chelsea. As did I, yeah. Um, so I thought he was unfortunate, but we all all kind of suspected there was going to be some some way that Aubameyang fit back into that team, whether it was going to be for Lacazette and playing down the middle, or whether it was going to be to rest Martinelli because he's he's obviously only just come back from injury. It felt sure that that Aubameyang was going to be in that starting eleven. Um, my take would be for the West Brom game that if he wants to go with a similar team, and you look at the distance between yesterday's game and Saturday there's probably enough of a gap there that you could make an argument that he'll play a similar side without changing too much um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Aubameyang wasn't starting realistically what I do think will happen is I think Martinelli might take a take a break mm -hmm. for that game and I think Aubameyang will probably start on the left um, but I don't think you I don't think you can keep Lacazette out of the team for West Brom because he's no. clearly in some form no Agree. I mean, what a finish that was. As we both said, that goal, right? So yesterday, I found it really hard because, of course, not being able to watch, watching on TV and having no one to watch with. Um, I checked Twitter whenever there was sort of a break in play. And when we were making the sub, I refreshed the timeline and I saw loads of tweets being like, Lacazette in capitals. And I was just watching him come on. And I was a bit like, that's a bit weird. Like, why would people be so happy? And then I was like... <laughs> Like it didn't because it, it was like just you know uh, those tweets that are like lacquer question like full uh, exclamation mark exclamation mark and I was like well, I mean I'm pleased he's on um, but 
<laughs> I'm certainly not enthralled by this substitution. Uh, and then the next thing you know, I sort of, uh, I think I'd clocked because it's like there was a minute next to it and Lacazette sort of 66. And I was like, okay. And, and then I, I turned Twitter off because I was like, okay, well, at least at the minute when a goal goes in, you sort of half celebrate anyway because VAR might rule it out. And then I watched Saka get the ball and I was like, okay. And then he pulls it back and you're like, there's no chance of offside. This is going to be a proper goal. So I still had that moment of pure celebration. But what a finish that was. Um, But I agree with, you know, his form uh, is excellent. And Lacazette's a streaky player. And... You know, he's our top scorer with five league goals, which is just so low. But hopefully he can go on a bit of a run now um, because he is. What's mad about Lacazette? He's a great finisher when he's on form, when he's on form. When he isn't, he's bad. He's awful. But he's the most confident player I think we've got. And uh, but he really can finish. I, I, I had a similar experience to you um, in having that goal ruined for me um, because my friend Matt texted me and I think he must have been watching on a stream or, or maybe his prime was, was slightly further ahead than mine. But either way, he texted me again, like when you got the text, when Lacazette was just coming on. Um, he texted me and said, uh, Saka with a heart next to him and then just said, some finish from Lacazette though. And from that point, I knew when Saka got that ball on the halfway line. Well, this is it, and I was re- and I was miserable for about two or three minutes after that because I was like, I I, I sort of put uh, on a, a little yay when we scored, <laughs> but the moment had been passed completely, and it really really saddened me because it, this we haven't had too many of those moments. So uh, Matt Riggs, thank you very much for that. I really appreciate you ruining that moment for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. I mean, I went straight with a phone down approach until the final whistle. I uh, did notice because I didn't hear from you at all. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, there's so few moments. Like, the thing is, is uh, we haven't won, uh, to my knowledge, like 1-0 uh, in that fashion um, where we score from open play. And we haven't scored many goals from open play at all. There was a statistic, wasn't there? I don't know if you knew this, that Lacazette scored our last open play goal uh this season which was against Liverpool now that feels like ancient history wow I did not know that that's ridiculous (laughs) so his scuffed finish at Anfield that looped over Alisson uh was the last time we scored from open play away from home so to have that moment ruined was quite something uh but never mind never mind we need quicker internet it seems I got into a, uh, I wouldn't say an argument, but a, uh, a conversation with someone on Twitter because they had tweeted a picture of Lacazette and, and this wasn't tongue-in-cheek or anything like this. This was a legitimate, this is great. He tweeted a picture of Lacazette and said, Alexander Lacazette, Arsenal's top goal scorer. And I got in a conversation with him and said, he scored five goals in four months or six goals in four months, I think it was. Um, so it's not anything to sort of, big up and, and be celebratory about. And and the, I, I, I didn't even mean it in that sort of sarky, I'm being an arsehole sort of approach. It's just a maybe rein it in a little bit because it's not really something worth celebrating. It's like saying Arsenal Football Club, 15th in the ta- table. <laughs> like it's about, it, it's about as significant and it's, and it's as damning as that fact because the fact that he is our top goal scorer now with seven goals and we're at the turn of the year 
is is appalling and that is the problem that is why we're in the mess that we're in because we don't have someone who can score goals mm. um hopefully like you said Lacazette is a confidence player and I don't get me wrong I, I like Lacazette I think he's uh when he's on form I think he's a, a, a valuable asset to this team but there's so much that when he's not on form that he doesn't he, half the time he doesn't even look like he's close to being anywhere near a player that is that is competent at that level and that's why um, Nketiah was getting game time instead of Lacazette because Lacazette was so hopelessly out of form. Mm. Hopefully now that he has got those goals in recent weeks, that we can see a, a bit more consistency. Um, and that's why I think he needs to start at West Brom. But yeah, yeah it, it is a damning fact that he's, he's our top goal scorer with seven goals. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and of course we have the uh, luxury of the stat padding uh, Europa League as well so uh, yeah it's uh, yeah I don't know one goal a game is uh, is quite something especially when we've got four in two uh, but you know onwards and upwards onwards and upwards hopefully we can uh, have a run of form now something I wanted to ask you about uh, as Ooh, we uh, love these. Uh, uh, no just as we approach January uh-huh. um uh, as well is that uh, not would you rather I mean we'd still take sixth and we'd still probably take eighth um I'll give it another couple of weeks before I give you a, a howitzer like that. Um, oh, fantastic. But I wanted to ask you about the January transfer window. Um, I think it's fairly obvious, and I don't think we need to go over who we'd like to see gone, because I think trimming the fat uh, is, is, is really important. But do you think having, I don't know, a £50 million central midfielder play more than two games for the rest of the season might just be what we need in January more than further additions? Or do you think we should be looking, if we can get certain players off the books, to be adding players? Uh, and if so, where? I, I, I think it's uh, almost a bit of both because I think the, the, the big issue we're going to have is that we can't realistically add anyone until we move anyone on because our squad is just so overinflated. Um, so that's the first issue we're going to have. So whether we want to bring players in or not is kind of irrelevant until that fact is sort of dealt with. Um, and obviously the financial aspect comes into it as well because, we, as we know, Arsenal don't have that much disposable income available. Obviously, we we did get um, party on the, the last day of the transfer window, which I'm sure will have a knock-on effect. Um, but I still think if there is a possibility of getting some sort of creative player in, um, we we need to do it because, it, like, like we said, it's nice having Smith Rowe in there as an option. However, uh, he's 20 years old. He's very inexperienced in the Premier League and he's not going to be a player that you're going to be able to play in every single game between now and the end of the season. So we need another player in there that can do a similar role. Um, I think realistically, if we're going to get a player in, it, it's probably going to be someone on loan. Um, that maybe isn't getting enough football somewhere else. Um, but that's probably the only area that I'd look at right now and say it's important that we that we address. Uh, I think we've probably got enough elsewhere in the squad to sort of get by and we need to probably accept that this season's not going to be a great season regardless of what's going on in, in the cup competitions. Um, we might be able to do something in Europa, but creativity is still the thing that I think we need to address. But like I say, I think that'll probably be a loan signing or something. Well, would you, the squad are split on it. So I'll ask, uh, would you re you know, cause 
th- there's rumours of Isco on loan, right? Six months loan, which I'm comfortable. Did com- see that? Yeah, which I'm not. I'm not against, and I do think that sort of creative flair player might might be a really good idea. Um, but what's the difference between him and Urzil for six months? That's the uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm with you on that, and Isco. Uh, from my standpoint, Isco isn't someone that I think we should be uh, putting any long-term plans into. Um, I think if we're going to go for someone in the summer, it should be uh, a young, up-and-coming sort of 22, 23-year-old um, to bring in to to give that resale value because I think that's very much something Arsenal are going to have to do, bring youngsters in and potentially move them on for for bigger bigger amounts to try and, and get back to where we want to be. So it needs to be short term. Um, But like you say, that doesn't feel too different than just reinstating Ozo into the squad, which I I, I think everyone would have to take a big big slice of humble pie to to do that and admit they they got it wrong. Um, It won't happen. I I can't see them. I can't. I think it devalues Arteta's message. Yeah. which despite everything that's gone on is being received. Like I think one of the things I, I think about this whole period is that actually Arteta, if we get through this with some wins and this whole season's crazy, like he went from being dead man walking to actually, yeah, you're probably buying yourself a year here and you probably are buying yourself those two, three windows everyone thinks you need. So, you know, when you look at that, uh, I can't see how they put him in. And I think, I actually think getting rid of Meza Ozil in January would be as big a win as we could have as a football club at the minute. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm in total agreement with that because then that would just be the end of the conversation. There wouldn't be anything that could then keep coming back. It would just be, it's done, we've drawn a line under it, let's move on. Um I still think it's probably going to be uh, a tall order to get rid of him in January. But if we could, then that w- that would be massive. Yeah. I mean, the dream is Kolasinac, Mustafi, Ozil out. I mean, that would be that would be amazing. I'd be so happy. <laughs> I'd, I'd celebrate that like a goal. Uh, you know, especially as they've got no time left. I think Socrates is surely out the door. Um, yeah. But those three would be the uh, the ones that I think, if we can get rid of them, huge success. Yeah, and they're they're all on very high wages as well, so it would uh, give us a lot more flexibility moving forwards. But as you say, I, th- I think realistically, the the big the big part of this transfer window is going to be trying to get trying to shift players on again. Um, because we saw that towards the end of the summer transfer window that we were trying to move players on and just didn't quite have, maybe we didn't have enough time or maybe just that things just fell through. But I think we've got to probably dedicate this whole month to that side of things. It has to be about trying to get people out. Absolutely. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. So that brings us quite nicely onto the final section of the podcast where we look at ordinarily we look at a kit from years gone by and we select some goals based on that. Now we're going to do it slightly differently today uh, in keeping with the festive period. Uh, We are going to say that we're going to talk about memories that we have from goals scored in December, so in and around Christmas time. Um, 
Andre, do you want to go first with your one? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And just to say, uh, I uh, I tweeted this on uh, Boxing Day. Boxing Day has always been one of the most special fixtures uh, for me. Um, with my dad living in Spain, he's all he's always over, and we'll always attend a, a Christmas pe- a Christmas uh, a fixture in the Christmas period. And it's always lovely to go with him because it's a real rarity. Uh, and I really did miss it this year. And actually, the fact they brought home uh, a win was very special. Uh, I love I love football at this time of year. Anyway, one of the ones that stuck out to me uh, was one I watched with him. I believe this game uh, was on the 28th of December. And it was again against Chelsea. It was actually a 3-1 win against Chelsea, ironically. Uh, and I could have picked any goal from this game because they're all fantastic. Um, but it's going to be Cesc Fabregas's goal, uh, which put us 2-0 up. Two? No, it was just three, it was. wasn't it? Uh, no, it was the second, and then Walcott got the third. Yes. Oh, uh, in that three-one win, Song scores the first, and then Sesk scores the second. And it is just, uh, it it was the most. I'm not going to talk too much about the goal, but it was the most electrifying feeling at that game because they were at the peak of their powers and we were the young pretenders and it felt like a coming of age performance and I remember I was in the west upper I was two rows um, from the back and I ran down to almost the tunnel area which about 30 flights of stairs when this goal went in (laughs) (laughs) just going yes yes I couldn't I couldn't like control myself because we hadn't beaten Chelsea for so long and you knew it was coming you knew when we went 2-0 up, uh, we had it. Um, it was just such a memorable game. I can picture Sesk with his uh, lovely dazzling red boots and it meant so much to him. It's so funny now because you look at it and he actually went on to play for them, but he hated Chelsea so much. And it was one of those games where I felt like the players and the fans were really connected. Um, yeah. it, it was just, it, we haven't had many of those, as you said, at the Emirates where it is just electrifying. Uh, but that really was, uh, really was one of those. Yeah, my, my memory of that game is quite similar to yours because I was in the North Bank Lower with my dad. And when, uh, obviously, we, we had the privilege of Fabregas scoring at our end. And we obviously celebrated that wildly. And then just when we finished celebrating was when Walcott got played through to make it 3-0. <laughs> and... My dad had to sit down because he was about to pass out. That's how excited he got. <laughs> but it was. <laughs> Do you know one of these things that I always? We are really lucky. Arsenal score have scored two in two minutes quite a lot, relatively yeah. speaking. Even while being right, and it's when that second goal goes in, it is like it's mind blowing. Uh, and I remember when Walcott went in, that was mind blowing. Um, but I can imagine he needed to sit down. I, I didn't. I, I actually couldn't go down any further flights of stairs. I think I had a bit too much Christmas dinner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> once was enough. But I just remember holding my dad and just being like, I can't, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe we're 3-0 up. Um, special. Special. Yeah, very special. Um, okay, moving on to my first. Now... When we were talking about this um, before, uh, off off air, uh, I had said two goals that I was going to talk about, and I've kind of changed my mind on one of them. Uh, so I, I know controversial. <laughs> controversial. <laughs> so initially, 
I was going to talk about uh, Sol Campbell's header against Chelsea, again against Chelsea, uh, on Boxing Day. Because it's a game that, um, when I was younger, football wasn't really, to me, about... Uh, it wasn't so much being at games. It was about experiencing with my dad at home in front of a TV. And I remember watching that game on Boxing Day and watching that with my dad and having a really, really special sort of embrace when, uh, when Sol Campbell scored the header. And I think, if memory serves me correctly, that was Campbell's first goal for Arsenal as well. And it really felt like a, oh, I'm an Arsenal player. I, I don't have any association with that lot down the road anymore. <laughs> so it felt like a really pivotal moment from that. But the reason why I've sort of scrubbed that one is because as I was listening to you talk about your memories, there's another one that just sort of popped into my head. And it was actually Freddie Lundberg scoring at Anfield just before Christmas. Oh. And I know you I know you spoke about that a few weeks ago on the podcast when we when we did the shirts memory. Um, and what I loved about that is that uh, I was at a Christmas party for uh, my youth football team at the time. And I, so I would have been sort of 10 or 11 at the time. And my dad, again, it was another example of him giving me updates, uh, even though I was meant to be focusing on doing other things. <laughs> and my dad would just interrupt everything to tell me, uh, right, Van Bronckhorst has been sent off. It's not looking good. And then he came in and poked his head back in and said, oh, one nil Arsenal, Omri penalty. <laughs> and then he came in very, very excitedly to tell me that Freddie Lundberg put Arsenal two and a half. And I, my abiding memory of that whole situation was that when we left the party, it was 2-0 to Arsenal. And Liverpool had just pulled one back to make it 2-1 through Yari Lippmann. And the drive home was so tense listening to it on the radio because all we were so close to a massive three points. And I remember just celebrating in the car with my dad just as we got home because we just <laughs> clinched a massive, massive win in that title race. So that's the one that immediately comes to mind um, after hearing your memories. And I thought it'd be worth sort of touching on that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah, I know we talked about it before, but that was um, magical. The magical times. Okay. Go on then. Do, well, do we're segueing beautifully here because mine was, uh, this one is actually purely for the goal rather than anything else emotional, um, which was, uh, again, um, Christmas time. I was in the clock end upper actually for this one uh, against Liverpool. We actually drew the game one all. Uh, Robbie Keane scored for them with uh, defending Andy Gray described as like two 10 year olds at the back. I believe it was. <laughs> I remember it well. <laughs> Juru and Gallas, I think, just got absolutely done by a lump. Uh, and Robbie Keane uh, did, did finish remarkably well. But uh, prior to that, uh, Robin Van Persie was just starting to hit that run of form and, and come into the peak of his powers. And uh, the ball is played uh, up in the up in the air. Uh, he takes it on his chest and you think he's going to try and work it onto his left foot. He's got Carragher behind him. He takes one touch on his chest. Left foot turns away from Carragher onto his right foot and he whacks it past Rayner. Uh, from about 20 yards out. And it was just one of those goals that you were like, that is incredible individuality. And he just started, you know, I remember that because it began a run of games and sort of began a period of time in Van Persie's life where he was so incredible. Um, and you, I think it was one of those goals that made you stand up and take notice. He'd scored spectacular goals, but he was starting to score with more regularity. 
and throwing in goals like that. Uh, of course, Adebayor, uh, we should have known then, was going to ruin everything. Um, did ruin that game by getting one of the harshest red cards uh, I've ever seen. But regardless, but it was just one of those goals. Uh, I remember we have a huge family Christmas party, which uh, my dad and I consummately left uh, to go and attend this fixture. <laughs> um, it was a really disappointing result because we should have won. But that goal was absolute class. Yeah, absolutely breathtaking finish. Um, chocolate league. <laughs> this chocolate league. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I was in North Bank for that one as uh, as well. Um, so I got a far better view of Robbie Keane's goal than I did Van Persie's. <laughs> yeah, I was blessed to be at the other end. Blessed, yeah, but, uh... but uh, absolutely tremendous. And what what uh, I, I I sort of agree with what you said about it. It was a stand up and take note moment for Robbie Van Persie. That came, I think, it was a week after Van Persie scored the brace at Chelsea to win two one um, at Stamford Bridge. Um, so that was obviously just a continuation of what he was doing and, and how big a player he was becoming for Arsenal. Mm. Um, so really, really fantastic memories, which leads us on to my final goal. And my final goal is, again, it's not one that I was at, but again, it's one that I uh, recognise as just a fantastic piece of football. Um from a talented, talented footballer. No, didn't go. Didn't go. <laughs> um, this is uh, Thierry Henry, uh, his first goal against Leicester on Boxing Day in a 6-1 win. And this was a Robert Perez corner at, um, into uh, the edge of the box and Henry just hits it first time on the volley into the back of the net. And it's just a pure power and not really anything else goal. He doesn't really think about what he's doing except putting his foot through it. And in that game, he did complete his first hat-trick for Arsenal and made uh, Matt Elliott look very, very silly throughout the whole game. Um, but it's just one of those examples of just pure footballing ability. Um, and everything he did during that game was just almost perfection. And that goal just kind of summarised it. So another memory I have of that is I used to go to um, an Arsenal soccer school down, down in Kent. And when I was there, um, I was talking to someone about that game. And he said, oh, I, I was at that one. And I and I, I said to him completely innocently, oh, what a great game to have been at. And he said, yeah, well, unlike some people, we I only get to go to one, to one every five years. And got really annoyed at me. And I was like, no, 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 I didn't mean it like that. I just meant what a great game to be at. And he wouldn't talk to me after that. <laughs> and I was very upset as a, as a nine-year-old. I was very upset about that. I can imagine. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. But yeah, fantastic goal. All four of those were, were tremendous, by the way. <laughs> they were. They were. I, I, uh, I, I, I love the Christmas period. It's such a... It's just such a special time for football. Uh, I, I did see something bizarre, though. I saw people going, oh, it's so nice to have football on every day. And I feel like those people haven't been paying attention for the last nine months. It's been on every day, relentlessly, over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, and only some of us have been watching every single game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. Lovely. Well, it's... Uh, yeah... Thank goodness we're back to winning ways, Tom. That's all I can say. Lovely to do commentary and uh, reminders of better times gone by. 
Yes, hopefully there won't be too many games in the future that we just decide we're in too much of a huff about to bring about the commentary quiz because it does it does break things up nicely and it does give us something positive to talk about. So, <laughs> but a very positive podcast for a change, Andre. Normally it's uh, very negative, but we've spoken about six points. We've spoken about where we can go from here. We've spoken about some wonderful memories and it's all segued fantastic. <laughs> into this uh hopefully epic podcast <laughs> absolutely absolutely okay so thank you very much to everyone for listening to this podcast uh if you'd like to see what we're up to on social media you can follow us on twitter facebook or instagram by searching for the boys in red and white and also we have a website which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com so thank you for your time as always andre it's been a pleasure oh absolute pleasure and uh, yes happy new year Yes, Happy New Year to everyone, and we will be back with another podcast next year. Thank you, and goodbye.